0: Welcome to New Books and Dance. I'm your host, Satara Thavani. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Halifu Osumare, the author of Dancing in Blackness. Combining memoir with autoethnography, historical study, and sociocultural analysis, Dr. Osumare draws on her decades of experience to explore the complexities of Black dance in the United States. So doing, she underscores the relationship between art, performance, and Black struggles for recognition, justice, and self-empowerment. Thank you so much, Dr. Osumare, for taking the time to speak with us, especially in the middle of your book tour. Uh, congratulations on your memoir. It's, uh, it's a wonderful read and, and a very full life that you're uh, telling us about.
1: Well, thank you, Sitara. I'm glad to be a part of the New Books and Dance series.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you. To begin, could you tell us how you came to writing this memoir at this point?
1: Well, uh, I have recently retired, so I'm Professor Emerita of African American and African Studies at uh, University of California, Davis. So obviously when you uh, retire, you have a lot more time to put into your research and your writing, Um, but I had started this memoir about a year before I retired in July of of, uh, 2016. So it was always on my uh, research agenda to use my own life to explore issues of my dance career in relationship to the development of Black dance in uh, the United States and really globally. Uh, So um, finally, retiring allowed me the time to really focus, finish the manuscript and submitted for publication to University Press of Florida.
0: Okay, and that's something that really comes out in your writing, is you, you talk about how you're writing both as a dancer and as a scholar. Could you reflect a little bit on the intersections between those two different aspects of your different kinds of work?
1: Well, um, I uh, was a, a dancer. Uh, really, I started, I, I would say, professionally, uh, in uh, 1968 and continued all the way up until approximately 2005 where I was performing uh, and actually teaching either in community studios or in um, university dance departments. It's when I finally went to University of California Davis, my last position, that um, I let go of the actual artists, performing part of myself and um, made a transition into being completely um, an academic and uh, a scholar. However, when I went into the classroom, I always took my uh, idea of performance and engaging the students from that that sense of being a performer. And um, I usually was very successful because I always felt like I was in some ways choreographing my class. I was uh, doing a kind of dance in my lecture that might not have been physical, but it was a way of looking at teaching as performance. And so uh, I found the intersections between those two very uh, stimulating both for myself and for my students. And many times when I would tell my students that uh, I was a former dancer, professional dancer, choreographer, that really impressed them. That I was more than just a thinker, but I actually was a doer in the world. And uh, and and usually that got their attention by mentioning my my previous career. So I, I found various ways of of those intersections. And in the book, I talk about. The idea of writing as a way of dancing, like dancing on the page. And when I would write, I would al- al- always feel like I was also doing a kind of dance with words.
0: That's quite striking to me. That relationship then between dance and words, that relationship between dance and discourse, is that something that you enjoy bringing together? Are there any tensions in that relationship that I've you know, I've heard that other dancers might not uh, embrace that relationship so much?
1: Well, for me, there's never been a tension between the two because I always... Uh, felt that when I was moving, I was uh, non-verbally articulating. And uh, I I, I looked at dance not just only as movement, but as unspoken text. And so it was very easy for me to find the intersections uh, between those two media. And uh, I had um, worked with a poet and playwright who became very famous early in the 70s in um the San Francisco Oakland Bay Area. Uh into the uh author of For Colored Girls Who Consider Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough. Uh, that, you know, became a Broadway production. But the the poems that were the basis of that uh of that particular play uh were developed in the Bay Area when she and I became friends in around 1973. And there is a chapter in the book that explores that relationship. So I used to do dance improvs to her poetry when she would uh, give uh, public presentations of her poetry that eventually became the, the poems that were coalesced into um, uh, For Colored Girls. And uh, I was always exploring with other artists the, the way that the word and movement Uh, meshed and enhanced each other. So I've never felt a tension or conflict between the two. But in fact, I I felt like uh, they really spoke to each other and that nonverbal movement expression uh, actually enhanced the spoken word um, and uh, vice versa, that the spoken word enhanced the nonverbal movement.
0: Mhm. That brings me to to delve right into your book. You speak about how dance is uh for you a form of revolutionary expression, which I found to be very striking and also uh allowing you to explore the many dimensions of blackness, be that social, cultural, political, historical. Could you speak about that as an entry point then?
1: Well, um when I named the book Dancing in Blackness, uh, oftentimes people want me to find what I mean by blackness. And um, it, it, as you have uh, read the book and uh, as people have looked at the way in which I, uh, I developed my career, it is very much uh, from two basic aspects. First, a kind of celebratory um, uh, way of invoking a, an ancestral legacy that is African, um, that has um, uh, its its roots in African-based dance forms. I call it Africanist because I don't always have to be doing what is considered traditional African dance. I can uh, do a movement that has that, um, that legacy and that impetus as a part of it. And I think my entire career has, uh, kind of centered around that invoking of that legacy and how that legacy has uh, continued to morph and shift um, in new ways as um, you know, the decades went on. And my production that I mentioned throughout the book that continued to develop as I developed as an artist, the evolution of black dance really kind of invoked that legacy. And I think the other aspect of how I am looking at dance in relationship to Blackness has to do with dance as uh, as a tool of social political change. And so I chose venues and uh, context that I could insert dance into that was very much about um, social justice and uh, trying to... Uh, really open up uh, various Black revolutionaries um, uh, consciousness to how dance, just like plays and music and um, and poetry that the Black arts movement really focused on um, in the late 60s and going into the 70s, that dance could also be a part of that um, social political expression. And so um, in my, um, early years in the Bay Area, when the Black Panthers were developing in Oakland, um, I used to take my choreography to their cultural center in East Oakland. And on Sundays, they used to have community showcases where artists would come and present works, mostly poets and musicians, etc. But I brought my dance choreography and it was very much welcomed and um, it was oftentimes reviewed in the Black Panther newspaper. So I put um, in the book, uh, as one of the figures in the book, um, a review that actually appeared in the Black Panther newspaper. So I would say that the book really explores those two dimensions, the Africanist celebratory cultural legacy and uh, dance by a Black choreographer, in this case myself, as a social political tool um, to help promote social justice, which um, I think is, uh, even today, clearly needed. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that very uh, nicely brings me to the next question that I wanted to ask you. And in in reading your memoir it's it's uh you're, you're you you entered the dance world you say in the 1960s and you highlight very importantly how this is you know the civil rights movement in the US as well as all of these uh anti-colonial nationalist and independence movements happening in Africa and the conversations that might be happening between these different groups uh both politically and artistically Can you speak a little bit about some of the shifts, uh, both the changes and the continuities that you've seen in uh, this very diverse genre of Black dance from that period to today?
1: Yes. Well, just like the times have shifted and various um, uh, social, political, and uh, artistic and cultural organizations have come and gone, the the, the whole way in which um, both the nation and um, uh, I think uh, black people in general um, has constantly shifted and changed, um, and there have been times when there were more um, more of a sense of of uh, of, a, of a of a of a sense of unity during the civil rights and black power movement when I was coming of age. And then um, those shifts where those movements would die down and people would, as, as I like to think, would be lulled back to sleep and would not be as uh, socially and politically active. Uh, and then there would be incidences that would happen and those same ideas and need for um, unity and collect collective uh, movements for social justice would reemerge. I think today we're seeing with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement a reemerging of uh, what we were doing in the in the in the late '60s, going into the early '70s, uh, with the Black Power movement. Of course, the Civil Rights Movement that changed so many of the laws for everybody in the United States, but um, particularly the Black Arts Movement and, and its relationship to the Black Power Movement. I think that we we have that kind of re-emerging today with the Black Lives Matter movement, but now it is a, a much more refined movement in the sense that it is dealing with the humanity of the situation, the morality, much more of the m- morality of that all human lives are important. And um, when we have issues that come up that really show that racism is still very prevalent in the United States with the rise of the neo-Nazi movement and you know, just personal incidences that happen like the recent Starbucks um, uh, incident where the, the whole um, corporation is now having to go through sensitivity and racial training in order to um, in, in order to uh, admit and to try to shift the the perceptions of its employees, et cetera, around race in America, so it, there, it's no question that the uh, the the basic problem still exists. But the way in which uh, both the black community and other communities of color who are under similar kinds of pressure like Latinos and Native Americans, et cetera. Um, they are constantly shifting along with the times. I found that when I went to West Africa, that was a turning point for me because I did see the relationship of, uh, of our, our oppression here in the United States in relationship to the post-colonial era that was, was happening in Africa and the, the lack of understanding of the relationship between the two, even though there had been revolutionaries that had uh, really pushed for a kind of pan-Africanist consciousness. But I think that the times dictate uh, new uh, ways of dealing with old problems, and that is happening now. And you see artists, um, dancers like uh, Camille Brown, who is today um, taking this whole idea of the Africanist aesthetic in her choreography and really um, um, beginning to bring up the idea of uh, the idea of the humanity of black people through dance. And so the, the same story is being told in new and different ways. <laughs>
0: In in addition to these temporal and historical shifts that you talk about uh, in your book and and in your response just now, there's also uh, the question of geographical differences. And your experiences, or shall I say, your sense of adventure, took you to many different countries and many different continents. And one thing that adds another layer to your memoir is your discussion of what it was to be a black woman in the US versus Europe, given their different uh forms of racism, for example, or a black woman in Africa compared to Europe. Could you expand on that a little bit more, please?
1: Sure. Um uh, it, it was very important for me as a as a person to get outside of the United States, uh to explore myself both as a as a as a woman and as a a black person outside of uh, a nation that was you know quite frankly founded on difference and and uh, and, and race race itself, which is a um, erroneous construct to begin with, so to get outside of a place like the United States and really see myself in other contexts um, was very important for me, and to experience myself as an artist in those uh, different um, social uh and political uh, geographic places. And so, uh, in, in my chapter two, dancing in Europe, you know, I, I really explore what it was like being a black female in the late sixties, early seventies, and particularly in Scandinavia, but also in, uh, Spain, France, uh, and a little bit in, in Holland where I lived for a short period of time. But um, I found that uh, wherever I went, there was definitely a stereotypical attitude about what a black woman was. And so um, I had to deal with that in, uh, in terms of uh, uh, trying to get people to see me as an individual. But I found that that process of being able to be seen as an individual as opposed to a, a, a black woman that was already etched in their minds uh, was much easier in Europe than it ever was in the United States. And I did not experience the kind of um, uh, uh, overt, blatant racism in Europe. For instance, when I would go to rent an apartment in, um, in Denmark, um, there was no racial discrimination because I was a brown-skinned woman, um, as it would have been in the United States, even back then in the, in the 1970s. So um, it, was, it was a different kind of situation. I was, I was looked at as a, an artist, who had potential, and that um, was uh, presenting something new in uh, in Europe, and particularly in, in uh, Denmark and in Scandinavia. And so, um, the context, the the uh, the place, the importance of place becomes crucial in how you develop as an artist and um, how you are seen. However uh as you read i do definitely do explore how the um the the idea of my be, my being an individual and being treated as an artist of worth in Europe was also uh made more complex by their uh their underlying stereotypic attitude about who the black female is and I call that the josephine Baker syndrome because um we were Uh, usually until we are able to obliterate that stereotype was seen as the exotic female sexual other Mm -hmm. uh, you know I uh, there's no way of getting around that I definitely experienced that but I also at the same time experienced uh, a more of an acceptance of what I had to offer as an individual artist
0: Another really interesting uh, set of ideas that you you give the reader a glimpse into is um, what might be described as these traces of Africanist influences on Euro-American dance traditions and culture more generally. Um, and, and that seemed like uh, a, such an important point in the context of your own work, but also in, in a broader perspective as well. Is that something that you uh, have spent much time looking at? Oh,
1: yes, very much so. Um, and uh, the foreword, which is written by uh, Dr. Brenda dixon uh Professor Emerita of Dance at Temple University, That was no um, uh, coincidence. I chose her because she is one of the foremost um, uh, uh, scholars on the influence of what she calls the Africanist performance aesthetic in American culture. She's written books like um, The Black Dancing Body and uh, The Africanist Aesthetic in American Performance. So um and, and, and uh articles for Dance Magazine on dance and race. So she is a uh, uh, a scholar who's really explored that intersection between um the art of dance and the way it has manifested racially and culturally particularly in the United States. Um I I talk throughout the book about how the United States um couldn't could not be culturally what it is without its its uh, um, African American citizens um, the influence of our culture through music and and dance both um, social dance obviously you know going all the way back to the Charleston of the 1920s becoming one of the first dance craze which was can be traced back to the Congo um, and the reason why it was called the Charleston is because it was, um it was a it was a Congolese dance that was practiced by by African Americans in Charleston, one of the main slave ports of the United States, all the way through to the 50s rock and roll era and dances like The Twist and all of that. So the social dance of America, you know, is obviously African based. Um and I always tell my students that uh, that they don't do the English minuet on Saturday nights. They they actually when they're at their parties and and uh, dancing to American pop music, they're doing uh, as much as they can Africanist style movements with isolations of the torso um, and trying to do at least one or two rhythms, which are a part of the whole Africanist aesthetic. So um, that's one part the influence uh, of um, the Africanist aesthetic on American pop culture. But on the other side, um, there's great influences in concert dance as well. And um, Brenda Dixon Gotchel is very articulate about this, uh, especially in terms of the postmodern dance, um, which oftentimes gave more into gravity and uh, a relaxed, more of a relaxed torso, than even classical modern dance did. All of those are permissions that were a, a, a bodily permissions that were a part of American culture that began to seep into dance experimentation and the way that uh, contemporary dance developed on the concert stage. And she even uh, really articulates very specifically how even Balanchine was influenced by um, uh, performing and dancing with the Nicholas Brothers, for example, and the way in which he developed a, the American uh, ballet was strongly from a um, an Africanist perspective, coming out of Russia and and then experiencing um, the American dance style that began to seep into what he was developing as uh, an American ballet style. So um, for sure, that theme, both uh, with um, pop, popular dance, social dance in America, and concert dance is uh, uh, being influenced by the Africanist aesthetic is something that is permeating my book from beginning to end.
0: Mhm no that comes out very clearly and and makes for a very nuanced and and multi-layered read. Uh finally uh now that this memoir is is out and and available and and you're touring with it, uh can you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on after the memoir or what plans you have, what's next?
1: Hmm. Well, uh it's uh, I do have plans but it's it's really hard to focus on them with such an intense tour I've been traveling throughout um California both in northern California where i live and in southern California but just tomorrow i'm starting to to travel across country and i'll be at northwestern university um near uh chicago in evanston uh with the performance studies department there that's sponsoring a reading and then uh going on to New York where I will be uh, interacting with a lot of artists, including Intazaki Shange, by the way, who's joining me at Hunter College for a presentation on uh, May 17th. And then with uh, Jawale Willa Zolar, who I also talk about in the book of the Urban <laughs> Bushwomen in Brooklyn on the 21st of May. But in the back of my mind, I do have... Um, the fact that I am planning to do a sequel to this, that I I ended the book in 1994 when I left the, my home area of the Bay Area to um, to move to Hawaii. And it's in Hawaii where I um, I began to work on my doctorate in American studies. And I also at the same time was studying hula and um, became, you know, up, actually a professional hula dancer while i was working on my doctorate um as a protege of Catherine denham um i cannot be in a culture that has a strong dance presence and not you know get involved with that and uh i'm mm-hmm. i'm a kind of um lay dance anthropologist in that way and so i have chapters that I've already written that had to be taken out of this book because it was getting too long. And I actually have three chapters in the wings waiting to be uh, brought out to the light of day. And uh, I'm sure that I'll also be writing about this uh, particular period of having published this book and now interacting with the public about it and all that's coming out in, in that kind of of uh, dialogue between the public around my concepts. So there will be a sequel. I don't know if it's gonna be called Dancing in Blackness 2. That would be <laughs> that would be easy, but we'll see. Um, but there'll definitely be a sequel. But uh after this uh after this uh tour um I'm definitely gonna be taking a much needed rest and um then beginning to look at at that process maybe um, trying to publish something in another couple of years that will be a sequel bringing it up to um, the 21st century.
0: Well, Dr. asumari I wish you the very best for, for your projects and, and the rest of your book tour. And thank you so much for speaking with me.
1: Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate uh, you uh, being interested in the book and, um, inviting me to be a part of this New Books and Dance series. I think it's very important and I'm glad you're doing it, Sitara.
0: Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. This has been another episode of New Books and Dance. Thank you for listening and be sure to join me again next time.